Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Law Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack. I'm CEO, founding and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver Trulson LLC. And I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held businesses, tax, trusts, and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being. On today's episode, my guest is Ina Hazan, PhD, a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Hazan is a clinical psychologist. She's a pioneer and expert on mindfulness, biofeedback, and performance excellence. Dr. Hazan has published several books on these topics and is a sought-after speaker and trainer. Dr. Hazan has agreed to participate in two episodes of the podcast. In a previous episode, we discussed mindfulness generally. In today's episode, we are going to discuss biofeedback and mindfulness. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo and you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Welcome back, Ina. Thanks so much for having me again, Mary. Can you start with a brief a brief recap of your definition of mindfulness? And I'm particularly interested in how you use the word compassion rather than acceptance. Um, Certainly. So uh, mindfulness is a pre-verbal awareness of the present moment with acceptance. And you can absolutely add with compassion uh, to that. Um, Compassion meaning just bringing an attitude of kindness um, and acceptance to yourself, acceptance to, um, you know, the mistakes you may have made to the things that are not perfect about yourself. So, you know, compassion is about um, your attitude towards yourself and your attitudes towards um, other people. So combining uh, mindfulness and compassion uh, together is powerful because then not only are you attending to the present moment the way it is, you're also doing so with a kind um, attitude right from the start. So can you describe what biofeedback is, what it might look like for someone who has never done it or seen it, isn't familiar with it? Yeah. Biofeedback is a way for us to learn about uh, the function of certain physiological processes in the body, um, such as heart rate, heart rate variability, 
breathing, muscle tension, finger temperature, skin conductance, brain waves, uh, and then learn um, how to modify you know, those physiological functions by seeing them displayed on a computer screen. So there is a device that measures these physiological functions, displays uh, uh, those signals uh, on the computer screen, and in real time, you can see what's happening in your body and how uh, the kinds of actions or the kinds of changes that you're implementing are impacting your physiological processes. So with time, you know, learning how to change um, the way your body functions in order to improve your health performance and well-being. So I did a biofeedback session and it was a long time ago. I can't even like, I'm not even going to count how many years ago it was, but I have to tell you, so it was kind of interesting because they put something on my finger to measure the temperature. Does that even Mm -hmm. make sense? Okay. And so what happened though, is that as they tried to get me to relax, I got apparently more tense and the finger kept getting colder, but they were trying to get me to visualize something. And then one of the people who were doing the biofeedback said, well, wait a minute. For you, let's try this. Count one, two, three. Just keep repeating a count. And what they explained to me is the way that my mind worked. I needed a different type of tool. Is that so when you're doing biofeedback, does that make any sense in terms of if you're working with my friend Sherry and she can visualize readily? Is that what you're doing is describing, trying to help people find strategies to relax or to make change? Um, yes. Yeah. So biofeedback is a tool for self-regulation, including relaxation, but it's not strictly for relaxation. It's, all, it's more about um, helping your body regulate its activation, whether it be up or down. Uh, and your your experience of having your finger temperature go down as opposed to up um, was, you know, one of my first experiences with biofeedback as well, particularly as a therapist trying to help one of my clients raise their finger temperature. So what you're describing, you know, is, you know, ringing all sorts of bells. Um, for me, it was a very similar situation. I was uh, you know, uh, trying to walk a client who had headaches, you know, with uh, uh, raising uh, their finger temperature, you know, trying to you know, provide some warming imagery um, and the client's temperature just can go down and down and down and down. And I was thinking, well, you know, what the heck kind of therapist am I? I can't, you know, can't help this person um, raise their temperature. Um, and it turns out this is a very common experience. Um, your finger, your blood vessels are innervated with uh, sympathetic nerves only, meaning that they're innervated only with the nerves that, uh, that activate you. They don't, they don't provide relaxation. Uh, so in order for your finger temperature to warm up, in order, it means we need to dilate your blood vessels. Uh, in order for that to happen, you actually have to decrease any kind of activation. Uh, so any kind of effort is completely counterproductive. So if you're sitting there going, all right, you know, I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to visualize my, you know, warm uh, imagery of the beach. And my thing is my finger temperature going up yet. I'm trying really hard. Uh, all of that is counterproductive. Your finger temperature is just going to go down, 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 down. Um, so when your trainer suggested, well, just count, uh, you know, they got your mind away from, I'm trying to raise my finger temperature, right? And it went and just focused on something else. And that allowed your finger temperature to increase. So when I work with people, first of all, finger temperature is rarely the first thing I do because of that uh, temptation that people have to put their best effort forward and try really hard. Um, and even when I do get to finger temperature, I encourage people to focus on the process as opposed to the outcome. So if we are working with an image of warmth, we're not going, all right, I'm sitting at the beach, am I warm yet? 
but more, let's just bring focus to what does this beach feel like? Um, you know, what are you noticing? What are you experiencing? If you're imagining having a warm cup of coffee in your hands, what does that feel like? And it doesn't matter what your fingers are doing. It doesn't matter whether your finger temperature is going up or down. We're just focusing on the process. Um, and that is what um, helps people uh, let go of the effort uh, and then allows the finger temperature uh, to go up. So my next question was going to be about whether you need to work with a professional when you do biofeedback. And I feel like that's kind of been answered with a yes, but I'd ask you to add any other comments on that. But let's say you do seek a professional and learn a little bit about it. Can you eventually do biofeedback on your own or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so the, the answer is you don't have to work with a professional. Uh, it can be quite, it can be very helpful. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with something that's a little bit more stubborn, you know, um, maybe uh, chronic pain or anxiety that's been around for a long time or, you know, depression that's, uh, you know, hasn't um, uh, budged in a while, things like that, maybe high blood pressure. Um, then, you know, working with a professional can be helpful just because, you know, they can guide you uh, beyond just the basic steps and it can help you figure out um, how to make the best use of the biofeedback skills. Um, and the goal is absolutely to not need that professional uh, long term. Uh, the whole idea of biofeedback is for you to learn uh, your own physiological signals, you know, how your body works and what your body needs in order to regulate itself better, uh, get those practices and then be able to carry them uh, on your own without having uh, to see a professional you know i always tell my clients you know my goal is for you not you know not to see me not to need me um after uh, a, you know a few weeks or a few months um, of, of work well what about um, coming back occasionally though uh, well, of, of course. Um, so if uh, someone is able to come in for check-ins, um, I find that by feedback tends to, like the by feedback practice tends to kind of fall off for people as lots of practices do. Um, so being able to come in and do a check-in every three months, every six months, once a year, um, it helps uh, uh, keep that practice uh, going and fine tune things as they go. Uh, so I'm always happy to see people uh, to, you know, to back for, for a fine tuning uh, session. But uh, again, the idea is that they don't necessarily need it if they're able to do it on their own. Um, and then right now, there are also a ton of devices that are that make biofeedback accessible to people, even without a professional. Um, and there are quite a few people who can uh, make use of, you know, of those uh, finger thermometers uh, or um, heart rate variability devices. Uh, if they don't have access to a professional for whatever reason, uh, people can learn to do this uh, uh, on their own with, uh, you know, um, instructions that are, you know, written down within the app, within an app, for example, or in a book or something like that. It's possible. And I've even seen some online avatars <laughs> will right. step in when needed. So can you tell us how biofeedback and mindfulness work together? So the, the, it's that example of the finger temperature going down when you're trying really hard, right? Uh, there, There is a uh, uh, balance uh, between allowing things to be how they are um, and uh, working to move things forward. Um, my favorite uh, metaphor uh, for this uh, is the uh, 
parable of the lute, an ancient Buddhist story uh, that talks about um, Sona, a uh, son of a rich businessman in ancient India who wanted to achieve enlightenment. And he you know, went off by himself and he meditated and he worked really hard you know, in the attempt to find enlightenment and he just wasn't quite getting there. So he went in search of the Buddha. And when he found the Buddha, he said, you know, help me. Uh, I'm working really hard and I can't figure out how to get, how to, get to enlightenment. Uh, and the Buddha said, you know, well, I know, Sona, that you are a skilled lute player. So when you have your lute and its strings are tuned too tight, can you play the lute well? No, it doesn't sound good. How about if the strings of the lute are too loose? Does it sound good then? No, it really doesn't. So what about if the strings are tuned just right? Well, then it sounds great. That's exactly what I want. So there you go, Sona. There is that balance between goal-directed action and letting go. You know, not too tight, not too loose. That's where we need to be. Uh, we need to know when to accept things the way they are and let them be where they are. You know, that's the uh, mindful piece. Um, and then when to direct our efforts towards change as long as it's mindful change. And this is where biofeedback comes in. Uh, we can use mindfulness skills to attend to things as they are when we don't have control over them changing. So in this moment, right now, I'm noticing feelings of anxiety uh, or sadness or you know anger. And those are my feelings right now. And that's okay. And I don't have control over them. What I do have control over is how am I going to respond to them? And I might use my biofeedback skills to respond to feelings of anxiety or panic. Uh, I'm not going to fight with that panic. I'm not going to fight with anxiety because I know that's going to get me nowhere except more anxious. But I know that there is a breathing skill, for example, that I can use when I feel anxious as a way of responding to it. Uh, and that you know, helps me uh, get through that um, anxious episode. Uh, it helps me you know, think more clearly. It helps me figure out how to respond. It helps me make decisions. Um, so I'm focusing on uh, what's under my control to change and allowing everything else to be. So let's say, because there's been a lot of anxiety the last few years, we've had political unrest in the U.S., we've had a pandemic, there's a Ukraine-Russian war going on and all of those. And so I have a, a friend who's a psychiatrist who says that she's seen a transition to where 70% of her practice is experienced in anxiety, which is like kind of a flip from normal practice. Mm -hmm. So if somebody walks in and they're working with you, do they have to, like, can you do the biofeedback and mindfulness together in a first session or is mindfulness before biofeedback or how, how does that work in bringing them together? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So if someone is coming in uh, interested specifically in biofeedback, we will start with doing some biofeedback assessments to see how the body is working physiologically to establish some baselines. Uh, and then uh, I will uh, teach some basic mindfulness practices um, so that people can learn how to be in the present moment without struggling, without trying to change it, uh, because that's where we start, right? You know, that's that mindful piece, allowing yourselves to be in the moment the way it is without trying to change it so that we don't end up struggling with something that's not under our control. Um, and um, after that, I start teaching people biofeedback skills. You know, it can be breathing skills. It can be skills to increase um, someone's heart rate variability. It can be skills to increase finger temperature. It can be skills to decrease muscle tension, depending on what's going on with that person. 
Um, and as they're learning those skills, the uh, mindfulness foundation is coming in so they can make mindful changes so that they're not struggling with their breath, but rather they're allowing uh, their breathing to change. So they're not struggling to raise their finger temperature, but they're allowing their finger temperature to, uh, to increase. Uh, and, you know, um, after a few weeks of uh, practice focused specifically on uh, biofeedback skills, and we introduce more uh, mindfulness and compassion practices, uh, perhaps more formal ones where we combine biofeedback skills with a meditation, whether it be a uh, focused awareness or an open awareness or a compassion uh, meditation practice, uh, and we uh, combine the biofeedback and the meditation practice together so people kind of get the best off uh, uh, both, both worlds and end up, uh, often end up practicing both uh, together going forward. And I have one question that's I just want to ask. So I'm a longtime yoga teacher as well. Mm -hmm. And in yoga, there's a zillion ways to take breath. And Mm -hmm. over the years, having taught that I'm like, this is right, this is wrong, this is, oh, this is a crazy way to breathe. Mm -hmm. For purposes of a mindfulness practice, is there a best way to breathe? Um, For the purposes of the mindfulness practice, it's just allowing yourself to breathe however you breathe, really. Uh, Because that's kind of the point is to allow your breath to happen. Uh, Naturally, when we're mindful of of the breath, breath tends to slow down. Um, and then we can learn how to allow the inhalation to happen, the exhalation to happen without rushing to the next inhalation. That's one thing that very often happens with people is they'll take a big breath in and then exhale fast in an effort to you know, inhale again. Um, and it happens for a variety of reasons, sometimes thinking that's the best way to, to breathe or because people are worried about whether the next breath is coming from. Uh, and that actually interferes with uh, uh, respiratory physiology, it actually um, produces a situation where you might not be getting quite enough oxygen. Uh, so the idea is you know, if you let yourself breathe in, breathe out fully and take the next breath only when you actually need it. Um, then you are not struggling with your breath and you're allowing optimal respiratory physiology. So maybe like instead of, it might be the same thing about the finger temperature. If you're trying to overly control the breath as opposed mm-hmm. to just being aware of it. Mm-hmm. So that's early, right. go ahead. Um, I was, I was going to say that's exactly where you start. You, you know, you don't control the breath, you let it be. Um, and then with biofeedback, because we are introducing changes to the breath uh, that are that might the specific change might depend on where the person is and what they need Um, but we started from that mindfulness perspective so whatever changes we're making are not a struggling kind of change we are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors carson private client wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 
779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. So when we started this episode, we were talking about the difference between compassion and acceptance and as that relates to mindfulness. And sometimes people think when you talk about compassion, that means you know, you're weak and you're stuck in self-pity. Could you explain what compassion means and how it relates to biofeedback in your thought process? Yeah. So compassion is about uh, accepting with kindness the parts of ourselves that we typically have a lot of trouble accepting. Uh, The parts of ourselves that produce, you know, shame or produce other difficult feelings. Um, So compassion is the opposite of weak because compassion really means allowing ourselves to experience ourselves as we are the imperfect human beings, uh, you know, that we are. Um, So we're the kind of human being that sometimes makes mistakes, that sometimes doesn't breathe properly, that kind of human being that whose muscles uh, get really tight sometimes, you're the kind of human being that sometimes, you know, yells at somebody they love, right? or it says things it didn't intend uh, to say. Compassion uh, doesn't mean, oh, poor baby, it's okay for you to yell at somebody. That's not what that means. Uh, Compassion means I'm having a really hard time right now. What can I do? Uh, in order to make this uh, uh, moment be a little bit easier so that I can respond to it in a healthier way. Uh, When we bring compassion towards ourselves and towards others in the moment, it helps us respond to that moment uh, in a more helpful, um, healthier way. So it's, you know, if we if we're busy, busy beating up on ourselves for, you know, having made a mistake, there is no room to figure out how to do something different next time. The idea is acknowledging that was a mistake and, you know, perhaps there is something I can do to remedy it. Um, And when you do that with kindness, you're much more likely to be able to actually do something different uh, next time because there is, there is room for it. Uh, There are resources available. So I refer to that like part of myself that's very critical as my inner critical parent and try and Mm -hmm. manage that. But is there um, a particularly, I mean, I think lawyers particularly can be critical in nature. And so is there a way to kind of become aware of your own self criticism? And I suppose that's mindfulness is going to be the answer, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. It's the, the idea is to pay attention uh, and just hear that voice. Uh, you might even kind of write it down, right? And whatever that voice is saying, just write it down and then read it over and be like, it, it, it's often a quite an eye-opening experience. Really? I just said that to myself. Um, or think about whatever it is that you just throw down, you know, you know, you know, you useless idiot, you can't even, you know, put two, two together, you know, or can't even, you know, answer a simple question correctly. Uh, when you put it down on paper, it really becomes stark, like, oh, you know, I, that's, that's just mean. And think about, you know, would you say that to a friend who's having a hard time? Most of us would never say anything like that to anybody we care about. So, you know, then the question becomes, right, so in that same situation, if a friend of yours in that same situation were having a hard time, what would you tell them? And write that down um, and then see if you can say something closer to that to yourself in that difficult moment and notice the difference that it makes. And so for lawyers, how can they use mindfulness and compassion-based biofeedback Mm -hmm. in their daily lives? Learning 
um, biofeedback skills to increase, for example, heart rate variability, um, which is a body's uh, mechanism for regulating our activation and a way of uh, activating our, uh, of regulating our physiological and emotional um, function. Um, knowing when to implement it uh, in a difficult moment and uh, Noticing when we are having a hard time, or you have mindful pre-verbal awareness. Okay, something is happening. You know, my I'm, I'm starting to feel dysregulated. Just noticing that, um, and catching that thought of like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this again, or I can't believe you are, you know, getting stressed over nothing, or whatever that mean voice is saying. Um, instead, bringing okay, this is a this is a moment of distress. This is I'm, this is really hard right now. What can I do? I can take some um, breaths to regulate my body. I can take some breaths to regulate my emotions. You know, these breaths that I've learned uh, through, uh, through biofeedback, that's a nice way to respond to it uh, and watch the situation change. You know, the brain is going to be a lot less cloudy. You know, your heart is not going to be beating out of your chest. It's going to be much easier to figure out how to respond. So I think when I first started practicing mindfulness, the definition I was using was that you were going to be, and I can't remember exactly, but it involved the whole acceptance. So that's one of the things I grabbed onto that. And so I thought that to be successful at mindfulness, I had to be able to accept whatever was going on or what to, and Mm -hmm. because I couldn't get to acceptance, then I thought, well, I'm a total failure at this mindfulness thing. So for a while I just gave up until then, you know, somebody was like explaining to me, well, maybe drop off that acceptance as part of the definition. And so I'm thinking, what I like about your definition is that that really, or your way of practicing that is that there's a lot with that self-criticism where people might otherwise just give up. So that particular skill is extremely important. Yeah, uh, it really is. Um, and I think the really important uh, piece to this is, you know, yes, acceptance is important, but we are not accepting some global doom and gloom. We're not accepting what that voice is saying to us, right? So if that voice is saying you're a failure, that's not what we're accepting at all. What we're accepting is the experience in this moment. You know, right now I'm noticing that voice, it's here. Doesn't mean I'm agreeing with it. Doesn't mean I'm accepting what it's telling me. Right? It doesn't mean that, you know, if I'm feeling badly right now, I'm always going to feel badly. It doesn't mean any of that. Acceptance means just in this moment, this is what it is. And I'm giving up the struggle to change something that's not changeable in this moment. But as soon as I do that, I freed up resources to figure out how am I going to respond to this? And that's where I have the capacity for helpful, mindful change. This is where I have the capacity to, you know, rephrase that, you know, you're a failure into this feels really hard right now. Uh, This is where I can implement my breathing skills. And this is where I can allow myself to respond uh, in a more um, helpful way. So it's really important to figure out what it is that we're accepting there. Um, And I think there's a lot of misconception about that. That is a great point because I'm quite sure I didn't get that definition before. So I really appreciate that today. But do you have any last thoughts? Um, you know, just like with uh, uh, with mindfulness, if you're interested in biofeedback, uh, go for it. Start, you know, start small. Um, you know, you can you know, figure out how to raise your uh, finger temperature. You can do some um, heart rate variability training. There's a number of devices out there, uh, you know, these days that will help you do that. Um, you know, do some breathing practice. Again, a little bit, uh, a little bit at a time will take you uh, a long way um, over time. 
Well, thank you very much for being with us again today, Ina. That's all for now. I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Well. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.